0: Lord, I just pray that you would teach us today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our lives, Lord. Would you illuminate Scripture to us, Lord? Would you not let's, just let us be hearers but doers of your Word? I pray, Lord, that you would help us see this story. It's an amazing story, but help us see how this story is so applicable to our lives, To how we need to be like Jairus and this woman and and come to the end of our human resources, Lord, and be broken and lose our lives so that we may gain it, Lord. Teach us what that means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this last few weeks, we've seen this this great theme as, as Jesus shows his authority, his power over the impossible right we've seen him uh, calm the wind and the waves right the storm by the by the power of his voice he calms the storm and then two weeks ago or last week we saw him heal this demon possessed man and we see thousands of demons a legion of demons were inside of this man and they couldn't stand before him so we G- see Jesus authority over over nature we see his authority over the spiritual realm over demons his, his ability to redeem and restore a human being, right, to deal with the internal. And today we're going to see his ability to heal sickness, and, and we're going to see even his ability to raise from the dead, his power over death. And so I, the theme that we're going to see today that I, I really want us to, to get is that faith requires us coming to the end of our resources, all right? faith requires us coming to the end of our resources this is very important for our lives this is what we've been studying in my rc and so it's been it's been a huge blessing so open up to mark chapter 5 with me we're going to start in verse 21 it says here and when jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to the Scriptures. But we see this uh, another amazing scene. We see Jesus kind of crisscrossing over the sea. And having these, uh, these encounters. And we see this man. It introduces this man, Jairus. He's a ruler of the synagogue. Which means he's an important man. He's a, a religious man. He's got high esteem and social status in his community. Being one of the rulers of the synagogue, he was, he was likely an elder in the synagogue. And uh, likely responsible for the, the organizing the, the worship services that would have happened there. If you don't know what the synagogue is... They were just smaller places of worship that they created when the temple was destroyed, right? So these were like little local worship places. And so he is, he is one of the leaders there. And we see him on his knees begging Jesus to heal his little daughter who's, who's sick and dying, right? He's at the end of his human resources. That's important. He's at the end of his human resources. He can't fix his daughter He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the ability. There's nothing he can do, and he he has to turn to Jesus, right? Jesus is his only hope, and so Jairus is a picture of of faith, right? One of the big things about his faith is you see that he's he's willing to risk it all to get to Jesus. He's willing to face ridicule and rejection by the religious establishment, right, Everywhere that Jesus went, he was in constant conflict with the, the religious folks. They didn't like him. They rejected him. And so for him to go before Jesus and, and fall on his knees is a great, you know, he's he's risking losing all his soul, social status, right? He's also, you see this remarkable confidence in him, right? This remarkable confidence where he knows that Jesus has the ability to heal his daughter. And I, I think the last thing you see is this this humility, right, to fall on his knees before Jesus, right? He doesn't fall on his knees before anyone. He's got social status, and he's at his feet before Jesus. Jesus agrees to go, and the crowd presses in. We pick up in verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. So, right, we're, we're introduced now to the second character, the woman. She's got a, a bleeding problem, right, that's, that's been going on for 12 years. She's suffered. This is a chronic condition. It's, it's continually gotten worse, right? She's, she's at the end of her human resources like Jairus. There's nothing she can do to fix it. She's spent all her money. She's seen every doctor. And Jesus is her only hope. Again, she's a, a, she's a great picture of, of faith. Right? She has confidence, great confidence like Jairus, that Jesus can heal her. Right? Even if I touch the, the, the hem of his garment, right? I know I, I can be healed. Right? She's placing her hope in Jesus. Everything. And, and, and she's willing to risk a lot. And, and, and she doesn't have any social status, but what she's willing to risk here is, is, is she, it's an important to understand the way she would have been seen. She would have been seen as an unclean woman. She would have been seen as unfit for the presence of God, right? The, the Old Testament ceremonial laws said that anyone that had a, had an open blood flow would have been considered unclean right? You, you wouldn't have been, she wouldn't have been able to enter into places of public worship, right? She wouldn't have been able to go into the synagogue or the temple for 12 years. Imagine that, 12 years. She's not able to, to worship God openly in public. She's ashamed. She's fearful. People stay away from her be, because to touch her is to be unclean. And so she's w- willing to risk heading into that crowd, right, touching people which would have been a, a great offense and an even greater offense would have been to touch a holy man right because to touch him would have been make him unclean but Jesus is is, is lord right so when people touch him they don't he, they don't make him dirty he makes people clean right That's, but so she has this great faith and so So that these clean laws, these clean and unclean laws might kind of be weird for us today in the New Testament people, but all they were for was to show us that as sinners, as human beings, we're unclean before God, and we need to be clean, right? We need God to clean us. They're to show us our sin and need for a Savior. They're pointing forward to the ultimate cleansing that was needed from Christ Jesus by His blood. So So that's what that was all about. All right, so she she presses in. Pick up back in verse 29. It says here, And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched you or to touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Right? So she touches Jesus. Immediately, she's healed. Right? Jesus, he's all-knowing, right? He knows everything. And he, he, so he feels the, the power leave his body. And now he's, he's asking, me, asking who, hey, who touched me? Which would have seemed like a crazy question. And, and his disciples uh, highlight that, right? Jesus, why are you asking who touched you? Everyone touched you, right? They're, they're making their way through the crowd. so They're, 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 they're wondering what's going on. Why, why is Jesus saying this? And, and I got to think they're saying, come on, Jesus, we got to get going. We got to get to Jairus' house. Right We got something We got somewhere important to be, but Jesus persists. No, who touched me? And we see, finally, this, this woman relents and she falls in fear and trembling before the Lord. Right? She's got the right type of fear. She's got faith-filled fear. Right? She's got the type of fear that the, the disciples experience, right? In the storm, they're afraid, but Jesus calms the storm, and they're filled with great fear, right? There, she has a, a fear of God, a reverent fear of Jesus, right? She's, she's bowing in faith and in worship to God. And we see this amazing encounter between her and Jesus. And uh, we see, she, it says here that she tells the whole truth, right? Some people know how to make a, a long story short. Some people know how to make a short story long. And so th- this is what I imagine, right? She's telling the whole truth. Jesus, oh, this happened, and then I went to this doctor, and this condition got worse, and, and these people were, I was socially ostracized, and, and she's just telling them her whole story, I imagine. Right? And here's Jesus, the king of the universe, right? Calm and patient, and taking his time be, be with this woman. Now If I was there, if I was one of the disciples, I would have been, I would have been like, come on, Jesus, we got important things to do. What are you spending your time with this woman, right? She's not as important as Jairus, right? Jairus has has social standing. He's got power. He's he's influential. If you can reach him, maybe you might reach everyone. But Jesus has different priorities than, than us, right? He doesn't, he doesn't. Place people in power or, or importance. He tends to favor the lowly and, and the brokenhearted and the, and the outcast. Right? He's got he's got different values than us, and he doesn't show preference to this to Jairus. He makes Jairus wait when he's got a look at Jairus's situation as well. Here's Jairus, a man with position and power and influence, and and his daughter's condition is life or death. Right? His is more urgent, right? Hers is chronic. She's already been healed just by touching Jesus, right? And she wasn't going to die. Jesus could've, she could have waited until later. She was less important, but Jesus says, no, I, I want to spend time with her. I, wanna, I want this face-to-face encounter because God is a, a personal God. He's a relational God. And he says these wonderful words to her. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, it was her faith that made her well. And, and what we see is her faith wasn't that great, right? She didn't have this bold faith to, to cry out. I mean, she came in secret and quiet and just trying to touch the hem of his garment, right? But her small little faith that she had made her well because her faith, it wasn't about her own faith here. It was about her f- object of faith. It was about the one who she was putting her faith in, and it was about Jesus, right? Jesus made her well. Her faith in Jesus, he's a great object of faith. And, and another thing is I think this public encounter that Jesus wanted with her is a, is a very loving thing that he did for her. Because if you, if you think about her for 12 years, she would have been socially ostracized. So I see Jesus is, is restoring her he not only healed her, but he's restoring her publicly to, to life, right? The life of the community, right? He's, he's, re, he's replacing her disgrace with his grace, right? He's, take, he's taking away that disgrace. And another thing he says to her is he calls her daughter. 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 That means she's in the, in the family of God. Daughter, your faith has made you well. So it's a, a, just a, I, I just love to see this tender, compassionate side of Jesus. Right, great power, demonic can't, demons can't stand before him, but then he can be so tender and compassionate. Let's go on. Mark five thirty-five through thirty-six. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, "Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further?" But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So, oh, no, right? We get word from from Jairus' household, she's dead. All hope has been lost, right? Don't don't trouble Jesus anymore. Let him go help other people because he can't help us, right? And, And so Jesus says, no, Jairus, don't fear, only believe. Believe in me, because belief in God, right, faith in God replaces fear. Don't fear people. Don't fear circumstances. Don't fear, fear death. I have control of this. I have a plan, right? Trust in me, Jairus. Don't believe the lies that I can't help you, because I can. And they, and they proceed. And it says here, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement and strictly charged them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat, right? So Jesus proceeds, right? Don't fear, believe, let's go. He takes his inner three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who, who always got to see the the some of the inner stuff that no Jesus didn't allow anyone to see. He gets to the house. He sees people weeping and wailing, and he says, "You know what are you crying about? She's not dead. She's sleeping." And they laugh at her. Now this is a strange kind of a a cultural thing there. They but they would pay. They would have paid mourners. So that's the only reason these people are able to laugh at Jesus because they're not real real mourners, right? They they. They know, obviously, this girl's dead. And so we see this, uh, again, we see this tender compassion of Jesus. as He says, no, she's just sleeping. He doesn't want to make a public spectacle of this girl. He puts everyone out, right? He doesn't put on the, the reality television cameras and, and let everyone come and see, right? He wants private. He wants to just just believe that she's sleeping, get out of here. And, and he takes her... her his disciples and the and the parents in there. And there's this this amazing word that he says that I, I learned about when he says Talitha kumi. Talitha kumi is Miha, wake up. Come here, baby, get up, wake up. It's a it's a it's a term of endearment in the original language. Right? And so that's what he's saying. Tender, compassionate, loving. It, it's like she was just waking up from a, a, a nap. You know. Because to to God and his power, death is just like a little nap to him. And so he raises the girl, resurrection, and they're overcome with amazement. I just love Jesus' tenderness and his amazing power in all this, right? He doesn't need to put on a big display, but he can do it gently and lovingly and tenderly. So what does this all mean to us? Well, I I said that true faith requires us coming to the end of our human resources. Uh, A a term the Bible uses to describe this is called brokenness. True faith requires brokenness before God. And so that's what we see with this woman in Jairus, right? They're a picture of brokenness. They've surrendered to God. They've put all their hope in God. They put all their, their faith and their trust in Jesus. Only Jesus can help me, right? They're, they're, they're not trying to fix it. They're not trying to control anymore. God, you're all I got. Help me, right? Psalm fifty-one seventeen says this. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Right, so what does it mean to be broken? It, it talks about having a broken and, and contrite heart before God. right? The sacrifice that God wants is a broken and contrite heart. Another word the, in the Hebrew language, that, that word contrite is used for when things are, are pulverized or crushed, right? And, and so what, what this is communicating is that what God wants to communicate, not just destroy us but God wants to destroy our, our self will. He wants to crush our our prideful self-dependence. He wants a, us to he wants to crush our self-centeredness. He wants to crush uh, our our pride. Right? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what God wants to crush and he wants to crush that so that we can have faith in him and and he can begin healing our lives and, and moving and working in our lives and, and building us up in him by the power of the Spirit. Right? So gr- God wants to crush that sinful, prideful self defense so that we would be like Jairus and the woman. God, you're my only hope. I can't do it anymore. I can't control my life. My, my life is surrendered to you because you're the king and all of life is all for Jesus. That's where God wants to bring us. And so other ways that the, the Scripture speaks about this same idea, the same concept, is that he wants us to die to ourself, right? He wants us to die to self. He wants us to, to lose our life so that we may gain it, right? That's what God's doing. He wants to out with the old and in with the new, right? That's the idea of taking up your cross and follow me, right? Your old life is dead. Right? i got this new life in Christ, and I'm going to follow, follow Christ. Now Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Right? That's brokenness. I've been crucified. The old life is dead on that cross, and, and I've risen in Christ to new life. And, and, and that's exactly what God's strategy is. Now, Satan's strategy is the opposite. Satan's strategy is to get you to doubt God and depend on yourself, right? He doesn't want you to believe in God. He wants you to to believe lies about God so that you'll depend on yourself and try to do it your own way and try to control your life. And and what's going to happen is when you doubt God, you start controlling your life, and you're going to be fearful and anxious and stressed out and worried. and, 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 And so God wants to break that so we can trust him and walk in true freedom, walk in the Spirit, Right, God wants us to to depend on him and believe in him. I want to read you this quote. It's a, this is from her name's Denny Dowell. In God's wisdom, he sends afflictions and engineers circumstances that are beyond our ability to handle in the flesh. So, right, God gives us circumstances just like he gave Jairus and this woman that are beyond our ability to control. Right? And these messengers for God are targeted to bring us to the end of our human strategies and resources so we will acknowledge and submit to his ownership and authority over our lives. That's what God's doing. That's what he wants in our lives. Brokenness. He won't despise that. He he doesn't despise it. That's the sacrifice he wants. Lay down your life. Trust, Trust me is what God's saying. Right? Fall on your knees in, in fear and trembling. Don't fear, only believe. So here's here's uh four observations from the from the from the text here that are required to demonstrate true brokenness. Right? Four things required to demonstrate true, broken, true brokenness in our lives. All right. The first one is brokenness requires belief. All right? That's what he told Jairus. Don't fear only believe right and I, and I and I highlighted that satan's strategy is to get you to doubt god and depend on yourself right so what god wants us to do is stop fearing stop doubting stop believing lies and believe truth believe truth believe the truth about who god is right so in difficult circumstances right in the in the fiery trials in the storms of life our our temptation is to believe God's not there. God doesn't love me. God's not in control. Right? Those are the things that we, we start believing. The lies. Right? And we start believing the lies. Now we gotta depend on myself. I gotta fix it. I gotta control this situation. And and it leads to, you know, got, you continue on until you're finally broken, right? Now, what God wants us to do is is renew our mind. When we start hearing the lies, when those 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 circumstances in life come that are beyond our, our human resources, he wants us to believe in him. Believe truth. And so there's there's truths that you need to turn to. And I love the four Gs. Right? I, I hope that everyone can memorize the four G's. This is what you need to do is you, you need to renew your mind with God's truth. Right When the lie comes, you need to renew your mind and, and push out the lies by turning to truth. So the four G's is that God is great, so you don't have to be in control. Right, God is great. That's the truth about who God is. He's great. He's sovereign. He's king. He's in control of all, all this creation, all of this universe, and so I don't have to be in control. I don't have to try to control my situation anymore. I can surrender to Jesus and, and put my hope and trust in him right? God is glorious, so I don't have to fear, right? Fear is going to result from believing lies and and trying to control your life, because the opposite of of trusting God is is going to be fear, right? You're going to be controlled by fear, and and if you really pay attention closely, you'll see, even in your own life and others' life, how much they're controlled by fear, right? We are haunted by fear, because, and it's a, it's a lack of belief in God, it's a lack of of trust in in His glory, how powerful He is, He's the heavyweight champion of the universe, and so we don't have to fear, right? So that's a truth we have to turn to. We need to have a bigger picture of God, right? The third truth that we need to turn to is that God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere, right? In those difficult circumstances, we're tempted to look elsewhere, right? I'm going to run to alcohol. I'm going to escape my problem. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to go to fantasy. I'm going to go to porn. I'm going to go to watching too much t- TV. I'm going to try to escape my problems somehow, right? Some people turn to food, whatever it might be. And some of these aren't even bad. Maybe I'll just exert more time in the gym. or. or but we, we turn to other things, right, to find satisfaction and and wholeness, and meaning in life, but God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. Look to him, right? That's, we have to believe that truth, that he is all we need. And then the final one is that God is, is gracious. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself before God, right? I can believe that Jesus' work is enough, that it's not about what I need to do, it's what he has done, and I don't have to prove myself to him. I don't have to earn my place. I can even if I've screwed it up, maybe I've believed lies and I've tried to control my life, I, I can come right back to him and receive his grace, right? His grace is, is new every day. So, so I, I'd encourage you to memorize these truths, right? And if you, if you want them, if you don't, maybe you don't write notes or anything, I, can, I have some cards that I can get you for this. Two, brokenness requires fear and trembling before God. Right? This woman came in, in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus. And like I said, she had that faith, faith-filled fear like the disciples. Right? This is positive fear. This is good and holy fear. Psalm 111 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And 1 Peter 2.17 actually commands us to fear the Lord. It says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Right? Because fearing God, having a big, glorious, awesome God replaces fear. Right? We begin, we stop fearing people and circumstances and we fear God. And so what that means is it's a a reverent fear. Reverence is a, a respect Right, A uh, 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 reverent fear is, a, is an awe of who God is, how great he is, how powerful he is, and it's worship. Right? It's worshiping this great and glorious and good and gracious God. Right? God becomes good. He's the center of, of, of my whole life. right? And I'm, I'm fear and trembling before him because he's so amazing. So brokenness requires a high, high view of God and a lower view of self. Three, brokenness requires trusting in God's timing, right? Jairus had to trust in God's timing, right? Jesus didn't work on his or he doesn't work on his or anyone else's timing. Jesus refuses to be hurried. Now, sometimes in our life, I know this is me big time. I'm like, okay, I got these plans. All right, I got goals, I got it all laid out for you, God. If you'll just work according to this plan, man, it's going to go so awesome, right? I, I'm so smart. Look, I can see how, if it just goes, God, if you'll just work and do this, man, it'll be your kingdom and your glory, man, it's going to be so great. And then what happens is, God says, you know what? My plans are not your plans, you know? My ways are not your ways. God sees it all beginning to the end, and he says, you know what? You got to trust me. Right, and so those plans fall apart, and God say, you "Know what? I'm working all things for your good," and then we can get frustrated and anxious and angry at God. Say, God, I was just trying to do this for you. Why don't you let it work out? Right? Well, what are you sleeping? Are you dead? Don't you care? There, there comes all the lies. Right? And God say, you "Know what? No, I am in control. I, I know all. I'm all powerful. I'm eternal." And I, and I know what's best for you. And so brokenness requires us to trust in God's timing. Say, you know what, God? I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to try to plan. And I'm going to try to uh, do, glorify you. And, and I'm going to pray your kingdom come, your will be done. But, God, if you want to change things, then that, it's all about your will. It's all about your glory. I know you know more than me, right? And, and, it's, and it makes us have to trust God. Right, that's what brokenness is. It's that that humbling. Okay, God, whatever your plan is, my plan didn't work out. Let's see what you might have for me tomorrow. Right, so it's that day by day trust and faithfulness to God, even when our plans don't work out. And so, He might not be on your timing, but He's always on time, and God's never late. All right. So uh, the fourth thing is brokenness requires a great object of faith. I'm going to end with this. Brokenness requires a great object of faith. Now, if you remember the woman, her faith made her well. But she didn't have this, she had faith, but she didn't have a remarkable faith, right? She's sneaking up in the crowd, touching Jesus. So it wasn't about this great faith. And a lot of times with faith teachers, you'll you'll hear about how you need to have this great, this amazing faith, and and God's going to do amazing things if you have great faith. But the Bible always says, no, you can have a mustard seed of faith and move mountains because God is the one that moves mountains, right? It's not about your great faith. It's about the great object of faith. For example, imagine two skate ice skaters. Ice skating is so unfamiliar for us from Arizona, so I thought this would get us going. <laughs> uh, imagine there's one guy, the first guy has, has this boldness, this bold confidence and says, I'm going to go out on that one-fourth inch thick ice. And I know it'll hold me. I'm confident that it'll hold me. Right? And what happens is, it doesn't matter how confident he is, how much faith he has in the ice, he's going to crash through that ice. Now imagine a guy number two. He's timid. He's fearful. He's he's worried. He's, man, I hope this four inch thick of ice can hold me. I hope it is. I'm really worried. I'm taking a long time to really contemplate. You know, he's maybe putting one foot out there to kind of test it. Right? But he goes out on the ice and it holds it, Right? Because it's not about us. It's about God and how great he is, how powerful he is. Right? It's about having the right object of faith. Right? And that's, that's the reason the woman was made whole because she had the right object of faith. And that was Jesus. And you see, right, having the right object of faith, what does it do? It heals us. Right? God heals us, and we might not all receive that that physical healing that she received. You know, some of us might be sick to the day we die, but she's restored. She's redeemed. she's, She's brought into the family of God, right? Jesus calls her daughter. And so when we have Jesus as our object of faith, he calls us son, daughter, restored to relationship with him. Right? It's this amazing picture of the gospel. So... I, I pray that God might break us. Some of us are going to be broken through difficult circumstances, fiery trials. Some of us are, are more stubborn than others. And so God's got to, it, it, it takes a little while longer for us to really surrender before God. And, uh, and so sometimes it's going to be these big circumstances. But sometimes it's going to be, you hear a sermon, right? And God says, No you know what? And God reveals some truth to you, how you're trying to control your life, how you're not trusting him, how you're believing lies, and you just come in fear and trembling, right? There's no big crisis. So there, there's, we're all going to be broken before God if we have faith in him. We can come, right, in fear and trembling, and, and some of us are going to, it's going to be a little harder, harder path to brokenness. But uh, we we all have to come to the end of our resources, and so uh, i I'd, I'd, lead with you to to do that bow before jesus relinquish control of your life and 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 say god i just i don't have the answer anymore just would you have control of me would you would you be my lord and my king and i surrender to you right that's the right place to be all right let me pray lord jesus i i I do pray that you would move by the power of your spirit lord to bring us to a place of, of brokenness and surrender in our lives, Lord. Reveal how we're trying to control our life. Reveal the lies that we're believing. Show us. They're going to be evident by our fear. And I, and I pray that we would put our all of our hope, all of our trust in you. I pray that we would cast our cares on you because you care for us. I pray that we would humble ourselves under your mighty right hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.